Hello and welcome to another in a series of podcasts produced by the International Monetary Fund in Washington, D.C., where we look at an aspect of the global financial and economic system. Today, we tackle the thorny issue of foreign aid. Just 10 short years ago, that 189 member states of the United Nations signed a declaration in which they said, we will spare no effort to free our fellow men, women and children from the abject and dehumanizing conditions of extreme poverty to which more than a billion of them are currently subjected. In that same document, they promised to grant more generous development assistance, especially to countries that are genuinely making an effort to apply their resources to poverty reduction. Now, underlying that commitment is the assumption that foreign aid is a positive thing and that aid promotes economic development. And from that, many good things will follow. But are the benefits of aid so positive and straightforward? To unpick this question, I'm joined by two economists. Andrew Berg is with the IMF's research department and has been doing work on the likely results of scaling up aid to Africa. And we welcome back our second contributor, Arvind Subramanian, formerly with the Fund and now with the Peterson Institute in Washington, D.C. and the Center for Global Development. Let me start with you, Mr. Subramanian. It would seem intuitive that if you pour money into an economy, let's say in the form of foreign aid, that you're going to have an increase in output and growth. Is that not the case? As you said quite rightly, it's very intuitive. You know, more resources means uh, more money for investment and therefore more growth. But it turns out that you cannot find strong evidence that aid promotes growth. There's a whole debate on this. You know, some claim that it works under some conditions. Uh, some, like me, claim that you know it, it doesn't produce positive results uh, under any conditions. Uh, so, so, so that's contested. But I think certainly one can say that there is no compelling evidence that actually aid does promote growth. Mr. Berg, let me turn to you. Now, you've come to a slightly different conclusion. You've done some research at the request of the group of eight leading industrial economies. They asked you to look at what would happen if the richest nations were to double their aid to Africa. What did your findings discover? We have basically a a kind of a two-handed conclusion. Our first conclusion is that this doubling of aid could have very strong positive effects on growth. But it's clear it depends on what the aid is used for, how efficiently it's invested, and what the policy response is. You say it could have positive effects on growth. Are we talking about a a dramatic increase in GDP? We didn't start from the assumption that that would be transformative, that it would change the whole society or that it would change the institutions or that it would change the whole direction of the country. But we do think it would make is a big difference, a substantial difference. It would save a lot of lives and it would make a lot of poor people, take a lot of poor people out of poverty. Okay, let me come to you, Mr. Subramanian, because you were just about to add a a comment. I think there are two really compelling reasons to question the common sense wisdom that you put forth and that Andy, Andy just suggested. One is that we know that countries in the long run do well when they build domestic institutions, right? And historically, it's true that you need the glue of taxation to bring, uh, to create good institutions because it's taxation that binds the governed and, and the government. Uh, it creates a kind of two-way link. If you have taxes, you know, governments are held accountable because they have to deliver services. And if you have taxation, governments have to make sure that they don't do uh, things that kill the incentives to invest. What aid can potentially do is to undermine that link between uh, between the people and the governed because it severs that link and therefore it retards institutional development. Now, donors come back and say, no, no, no. Well, you know, we can ensure that we do, we don't want we don't want to undermine it, which which I believe. 
but that we have ways of ensuring that that undermining doesn't happen, for example, by imposing conditions. So they say, well, you know, if it undermines the incentive to invest, we can say, well, uh, direct your aid here, direct your aid there, create good governance. But the fact is, it's, it doesn't happen because there is an organic built-in thing which, it, which prevents the incentives being right for institutional development. That's a, a point that you've discovered in your research, Mr. Berg, isn't it? That the characteristics of the country, which are the recipients of aid, is very important as to whether it, that aid is, is effective or not. Absolutely. I've not taken the position that aid is a magic bullet, that in and of itself will transform societies. It can help often, I think, but of course countries need to do all sorts of other things. But, but, but Andy, here's a question for you, right? I believe what you just said about, you know, finding the right conditions to give aid. But the fact of the matter is the international community actually is pretty kind of undiscriminating, or at least has been for a long time, in systematically pushing aid. So, so when you say, well, let's find the right places to give the aid and for the right reasons and for the right objectives, where in practice are the incentives in place to accomplish that? Well, but I think there's been some degree of improvement in the last 10 or 15 years. In fact, donors like to give aid to the aid darlings, the countries that have been making some institutional improvements, say say the Tanzanias, Mozambiques of, 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 of Sub-Saharan Africa. And they get quite a lot of aid compared to some other countries that have more difficult, maybe more, more trouble using the aid well. Two of the benefits that you identified in your research off the back of foreign aid is one, it frees up resources, and two, it produces learning by doing. Could you explain? Arvind didn't get the t- chance to talk about his second reason why aid can be problematic, but that's what you're alluding to there, I think. Aid allows the country to devote its scarce resources to producing stuff for, its, for home, for its own citizens. So where they, a country might be in desperate need of medicines, say, or food, and so without the aid, it would have to, its, its skilled workers, its capital would have to be devoted to exporting stuff to get that medicine and food. The aid allows the med- some of the medicine and food to come in anyway, and those skilled workers can be used at home, for example, to, pr- to, to help cure AIDS. Now, what some people worry about is that the pressure for countries to export is maybe taken away. The incentive rather than the pressure, mm-hmm. the incentive. Well, why don't I turn to Arvind since it's yes, his Yes, that argument. seems perfectly reasonable that if you give foreign aid, then it frees up that money to be used on, for something else. There are two effects at work. One is what uh, Andy just described. You know, you free, free up resources so, you know, you can do other things, you can invest and so on. But the, the downside is the incentives that it creates for exporting get dented. And that's because when you get a lot of foreign money, you know, there's upward pressure on the exchange rate, your economy becomes less competitive. Uh, One way of thinking about it is that, you know, if you have some skilled people in the country, they should be doing exporting instead the incentives for them to move to and be part of, you know, delivering services for AIDS, for example, increases. So so certainly my research tends to suggest that, you know, the uh, the more countries that get aid, the less they export. And then there is, of course, uh, uh, another assumption is that, you know, countries that export more grow more in the long run. So if you get a lot of aid and the incentives are are affected for exporting, then that could diminish the ability of a country to grow sustainably in in the long run. So I feel that in terms of 
creating the sustainable conditions for growth, which is that investing in trade, tradable sectors and exports, that gets you know really hurt, and and I really worry worry about that for the long run. Andrew Berg, do you agree that trade is at the basis of economic development, and pouring aid into a country diverts from the trading sector? You know, we we actually when we were doing some of these scenarios, we we sort of discovered something that's obvious, you know, when you think about it, which is that this this effect about exporting can go both ways. People talk about Dutch disease because the view was uh, the Dutch had discovered oil and, and, and they would have this problem that Arvin just described, that they would become uncompetitive in other things besides oil and become dependent only on oil exports and sort of become less vigorous in the economy. So it's called Dutch disease. But one thing that we realized as we sort of played with our models and our scenarios is that there, there are two sides to that coin. If the aid is used, for example, to build ports and roads and to educate people, and to cure them of uh, sickness and to maybe even to, to reduce infant mortality so they can begin to invest more in, in, edu- in, in each kid and so on, you can get more uh, exports in the long run because of the aid. The evidence shows that government-to-government aid is, is probably the most problematic or the least compelling, right? But there are other forms of help that the international community has done in the past and can do, which have actually been very successful. Now, best example is uh, the Green Revolution. The international community financed uh, uh, the, the technology revolution. So I would like the debate to move from can aid work, <clears throat> as in financial government-to-government assistance, to the bigger question of what are the other non-aid ways in which the international community can help? What other forms are you thinking about? <clears throat> so, so let me give you three or four examples. Huh? One is financing international public goods, like, like R&D for, for health, research, etc. Second, I think, I think the international community can do a lot by way of uh, reducing the ability, say, of dictators to park their money in their jurisdictions. So if you want to in, in improve governance in these countries, one of the things we might do is to say that you know, all foreign banks should disclose the money they get from illicit, uh, you know, illicit money from dictators because then you know, there would be less of an incentive for these guys to park it uh, in the first place. I think we can do more by way of providing maybe market access to some of these countries. But I think the debate really has to move beyond government-to-government financial assistance to broader ways of helping. Thank you both very much. This debate looks as if it's going to go on and on. I'd like to thank Andy Berg, who's with the IMF's research department, and our second contributor, Arvind Subramanian, formerly with the fund and now with the Peterson Institute in Washington, D.C. Thank you both. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you.